All right, my friend, we ready? Now we are, yes. <laughs> <laughs> State you change. You can, you can even add that in if you want <laughs> oh. to, right? Yeah. Welcome back to Open Up Podcast. I believe this is episode 248 with my man Gibbo, Jeff Gibson. Uh, spent a long time in the oil and gas sector. Uh, has become one of my friends, one of, one of the people that I care about. And um, his story is around alcohol and, you know, he's got to the point now where he's become, spent so much time sober and learned so much about himself that he's created, uh, or written a book and created a course called Get Off It with Gibbo, or just Get Off It, where he's helping men get off the booze. So if this is of interest to you, then please listen along. But brother, to begin this one, uh, I want to ask you, how would you describe yourself as a man and all human being, either one? Firm but fair. Firm but fair. Firm but fair, mate. Um, I think I, I've, I've got this big bullshit a meter, I guess you could call it. Um, <laughs> I've been in an industry, um, when I started, it was pretty hardcore. Back then, you know, we don't even just they don't even stop blowing in the mess, you know, offshore pretty much. And um, HSC was this new thing, and yeah, it was it sort of it was a baptism of fire when I started. And I guess that's um, really stuck with me. So when you say firm but fair, what do you mean by that in terms of the way that you shot? Um, so the way that I show up, I'm firm but fair on myself. I realise that you need to take time out for yourself and but you still need to get work done. Yeah. I also realise that there's a discipline aspect for self-care where you need to take time out for yourself and get that work done. So right now, we're in the middle of winter in Perth and it's cold and the alarm goes off and I should be jumping up into my morning routine. I just think, yeah, I might just spoon the dog for an extra 10. And then there's still, you know, your commitments start at, the other, at that day and then you sort of lose a part of that morning practice and you really, really feel it if you've lost three or four days. So, you know, today I went, righto, get out of bed. You're doing this. No, it's cold. You're doing this. And I feel much better for it. So I guess it's, you know, I might be firm but fair on other people, but I'm firm but fair on myself. But I'm a realist, you know. I love that. Is that something you've had to build into your character or is that something that you were modelled from your parents? I grew up in a military house. Um, Oh, well, okay. Old man um, actually suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder from the Vietnam War. Um, at one stage, he was the last actual casualty of Vietnam War when he passed away. We got the full military funeral from the RSL, etc. So, I think if anything, mate, I've actually backed it off from being this micromanaging, militaristic person. And I think that may have come about through a fog lifting and some self realization. All right, brother. But it actually isn't my way or the highway. <laughs> I have to work with a team which is known as the Gibsons, my yes. family. Yes. 
Um, so walk me through your, your childhood and what that was like being brought up in, in that environment and then I guess how that led into you being in oil and gas. So my old man was in oil and gas as well. Right, so I can relate to, you know, an oil and gas worker. Goes, oh, my kids miss me and I can actually say to that person, well, I remember when I was nine and my old man would phone and he'd have to do extra time and I know how much that hurt. And I remember growing up having a father present for a lot of the time and then he'd disappear. But when he was present, he was present. Okay, and that was something that I really, really learned. Like he'd always have a project on. He'd be doing all the crap jobs during the day, and when we were picked up from school, it would be with you know surfboards, you know, cricket, golf clubs, whatever. You're always out doing something with a few of your mates in tail, but things happened precisely. There was, you know, I have my pants are on the left-hand side and my shirt's are on the right. Like that is, and your underwear drawer is like certain. And that was well how I was taught and how I was, I guess, moulded to 20 years at sea because you have to live with 100 other people in a small space and share a room with someone. So you don't want to be that person where you come in from shift and then shit everywhere. So I think that ingrained in me at an early age helped me later on and plus also helped me like, well, that's what you do, isn't it? You go away and work in the turd world or the Pilbara or wherever it be and that's what the man does. And the, or the, not the man, the breadwinner does. So how did you, when you got out to, to your first or the first um, stint on a rig and that process of adapting to a new new way of life, did you fare better than the other people that you saw come in with you or after you because of that upbringing? I think so. I think so because I knew what I was in for, but then I tried to be cool, you know, and, like, I didn't ask questions and, you know, I sort of went, there's a lot of stuff that I escaped, I think, luckily, um, you know, like... Well, you ask people, you know, go and find the key to the V-door. What's that? It's not a thing, mate. Oh. <laughs> it, it's, it's a ramp where pipe goes up, but it's called the V-door. And, yeah, you're going to find the key for that. There's no key to the V-door. And, like, that's, that's just a classic, you know, go go down and get a you know, tin of stripe paint and all that sort of stuff. So I was lucky. I escaped that. Um, Why, how did you escape that? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I kind of knew from, you know, the banter that it could have been happening or whatever, so I just sort of played it cool and yelled, been here before and it's not my first time sort of thing and <laughs> I just winged it totally. Um, but, mate, it's you go out and you do an oil rig, go on an oil rig, which is at sea, it's a high-risk environment, you cannot walk more than 20 paces without having to turn a corner or a step over or something. Unless you're on the heli deck, you know, doing laps. And that whole sort of culture is a real eye-opener. Well, what was that like, beginning that journey being so isolated? See, it got worse for me because I surf a lot. 
and I got based in Karatha. No sort of. <laughs> no way. So unless you go to the outer islands, you need a boat, and we we're working really hard. So I had that massive thing taken away from me, and that was the start of. <laughs> so what? Cracking tins, you know. It was you put into a town where, and this was in two thousand. As well. So Karatha, if anyone was up in Karatha in 2000, knowing that it's not Karatha today at all. Yeah. It was pretty hard and pretty cool <laughs> and pretty fun, but it was different. And I think that would just was, be the KT back then, hey? Oh, <laughs> was it ever, mate? And I lived on um, Cowan Way, so it was only just a little hop, skip, and jump away from the Tav. <laughs> and it's funny, actually, we bought this house in Canada. And I was actually away when we purchased this house and I walked into the lounge room and went, <laughs> the carpet's the same as the tabs. <laughs> and my wife goes, yeah, you'd know because you're in there enough. <laughs> so for you, having, having surfing, surfing taken away, for, for a lot of people that I meet, especially when I go around to FIFO sites and I can see and I – Every guy that I feel is a surfer, when I look at them, I nickname them Margaret River, just because yep. that's <laughs> that's what I think of. Yep. And when I think Margaret River and surfers, I think like cool, calm, collected, know how to go with the flow, don't let emotion overwhelm them too much. What I guess what was surfing to you? Because that's you know that's what I've seen externally as someone who doesn't surf. So yeah, it's it's exactly that. I think. Um you have to be patient to get waves, but you also have to negotiate crowds to be able to get waves. You have to know almost a pecking order and the rules of surfing. So it's kind of is structured, but then you also have to know that some things are out of your control, like getting flogged and being held underwater and not being able to get up. Um, and then there's, uh, you know, doing big turns and stuff and blowing waves and all that stuff. I think surfing's a great life lesson. And I think another great life lesson is skateboarding. For, you know, you watch these skateboarding videos and you just see the guy doing the trick. Yeah, and he lands it, you know, board flips down, he goes down the rail and everything. You don't see the 55 times before that and all the back of his shirt and all the blood coming out of him to get that trick. And that's just keep going, fall up, get up. Just You're going to smash this, you're going to nail it, and you're going to nail it. And it's the same as surfing. It's trying to do like a turn or whatever. And it's just that I'm going to get it, I'm going to get it. The next one's going to be better. I'm going to get a good one. The next one's going to be better. But then you're living in this state of anxiety. Why? Because the next one's going to be better. The next one's going to be better. The next one's going to be oh, better. Okay. And then the flip side of that is when I'm on my deathbed in 142 years, <laughs> because I love longevity, um, I will probably, in the last hour of my life, remember the best waves of my life and I'll be like photographic memories. Like, I remember the first time I ever got a good, good wave. I can actually remember, close my eyes, and it's exactly how. So, there's it's a lot of ingrained stuff. That's beautiful. One thing, read a book called um, 
Oh, I can't remember what it's called, mate. It was about flow state by Stephen Kotlin. He talks about um, surveying surfers and surfers being able to drop into a flow state much better than anyone else mm-hmm. simply because they've cultivated the patience to wait and then they've anchored in that feeling of getting into a flow state whenever they get on a wave. Um, so it's really interesting to me, man. And what, I guess, it sounds like you've, with being a surfer and being held under the water, there's a lot of um, good character traits like patience, there's surrender to being held under the water, mm-hmm. perseverance. Um, like how, how has that shaped the way that you've shown up in the external world? Firm affair. <laughs> As I, I said, that. you know, it, it, it's, it's the only way I can really like. You have to be a realist and you have to be prepared. So if I want to go to the beach and there's, I'll, I'll usually take two boards with me, just depends on what the conditions are like. Um, I know my limits, so I'm a realist. Um, and when I'm out there, I've got a hassle for waves, so that's being firm. But I'm not going to be greedy by bullying other people because my ability might be greater than theirs. So I'm going to share, I'm going to give a few away, but also I'm going to take my share, so that's the firm but fair. Um, and look, at the end of the day, it's a dog-eat-dog world out there, mate, and especially with... Surfing's really, really bad, people, so no one start, please. No, I'm joking. <laughs> there is a lot of people in the water and a lot of people get in your way. I used to blow up, like, be one of those almost heavy locals, yell, and, and I guess in the last couple of years of my life, I've actually just gone, and had that, right, it's not going to achieve everything, but as soon as you get angry, that flow state goes. Yep. Okay? To the point where I've been burnt a few times by some guy who's maybe oblivious and everything, and my surfing goes down, and I've learned, I just paddle in, let's get a wave in, I blow on the session, or well, he's blowing the session for me. No, no, that's the, <laughs> I have chosen to let that, irritate me and now my flow state's gone and you have to like when you're surfing well and I think it's like life you just you manifest waves to you just the water just seems to just like stand up in front of you I remember quite a few surfs in the last few years before I got injured of course I'd get away from out the back and then as I'm paddling out all these little waves and like cool waves would just pop up in front of me and I'd take, I'd catch five waves before I actually got out of the back. And I'd be absolutely rooted because I wouldn't have stopped paddling. There's another one, oh my God. Paddle out, ducked, oh God, there's another one. <laughs> and I think that's another thing, recognising that if you're in a good place, things are going to manifest and sort of come to them a little bit better. And I've really, really noticed that since stopping drinking and the fog lifting and in the water. Beautiful, my man. I love that. And I love the awareness to paddle in and to let go of the flow state. How, how long do you reckon it took you to get to a place where you were comfortable 
saying, okay, the session's done. I'm not in a state of flow. I'm going to paddle in. 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'll get you not, mate. I've only just done this in the last couple of years, Lockie. It's just, I guess, look, when I was when I was younger, you know, I was an angry man and I wanted to be perfect and I wanted to be good at everything. And I guess you get this like, it's his fault. And then I went up and I started working in Karatha and then I started drinking heaps. So it's like there was this fog around me, this alcohol fog, and it took until that fog lifted and I sort of took a step back and went, well, this ain't working. What's going to work? And then it's recognising stuff. But if you're in a, in, you know, if it's an alcoholic fog or, you know, you, you're stuck in your own ways and you're not open for new ways of dealing with stuff, you're just going to be in a fog and you're not going to be, you know, looking at this situation, yep. how it actually is. So that's only really happened in the last two years of my life, mate, I'm 45 years old. It's stupid. I was like just putting your tongue on the nine volt battery. Ooh, it hurts. Ooh, it hurts. Ooh, and you just keep on doing it and doing it and doing it. Like, but you don't know what, because it's habit. I'm going to react to that person, that situation, because that's what I do. Instead of stopping yeah. and going, hold on. This ain't working. I've kind of fumbled through my life and all stop. But my all stop was a bit of a... So when when you get into drinking, what were what were the moments that, that really led to, to picking up the drink and then getting into it quite heavily? It's just what you did. I moved into a house and it was, you know, in the Pilbara. It's hot. There's a fridge out the back. Always got at least three cartons in it. So before you even kick your work off, you have two. And then you might even go to the gym and then come back and you have another. And it's just, that's during the week. And then it just, it's something to do. And then when you have problems, it makes you, them seem to go away. You become really, really charismatic and handsome as well. A lot of the time <laughs> when you drink. Um, I actually become super hyper intelligent when I get on the Bundy. <laughs> Ask anyone. <laughs> and then it becomes an addiction. And I think that's where I got myself into a habit forming addiction where I could not stop drinking. And that takes a while, but a while can go like that. You know, you blink and like, where did the ten year, last 10 years of my life go? So what did that uh, lead to? Or what did that create in your life, having that, that addiction? I became massively overweight. So I ballooned out to over 110 kilos and I ain't very tall. <laughs> I, because of the extra weight and me wanting to still surf and still skate, I had a... Perceived image, which was, remember the episode of The Simpsons where Homer's looking in the mirror and you see Homer 
like looking at him in the back of it, it's like he's all ripped with his abs, he's giving up these ones and everything. That hell is me. I did exactly the same thing. But I was this massive, disgusting fat body, but I still thought I looked like I did when I was in my 20s. So I think I look like that and I'm trying to do the activities that I love and I'm not able to do them. And now those activities are causing me physical pain because I've got a massive stresses on the back. So now I'm in chronic pain all the time. I'm overweight. Then I get hurt. Or you have a really, really bad surf. You, the first thing you do is you go to the fridge. And then it's just this revolving door. I'm in chronic pain. I can't perform. I don't actually look good. So you start to be like, oh, I'm just going to go to the fridge. And then you're still trying to train. And then it just gets this revolving cycle. Someone was saying the same things happened to a lot of, in the 90s, ex-Premier League players. Mm -hmm. They retire and they buy a pub. And then they blow out and they just become this cycle of alcoholism because they weren't the person they were. They tried to train. It became really hard for them to get the weight off and look like that. Then they get depressed, and then that was the cycle. So, at what point does do you notice that that cycle isn't serving you, and choose to do something about it? It was a point where I started. I'd actually just been made redundant yep. from my job. Um, we'd moved from the country to Perth and I had a new mortgage, no income. I was a disgusting fat body. I was in chronic pain. I couldn't surf and I started to plan to, let's say, not be in pain anymore. And I was planning to take my own life. And luckily for me, I stuck my hand up. Now within 24 hours of me sticking my hand up, I was institutionalised. That was the point. Because I was just drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking and the drinking wasn't the problem. The drinking was actually kind of helping, but it wasn't. But I thought it was and it's just this, there's the cycle again. And that was the point, mate. 22nd of May. Five years ago. 2016. What was it like to be someone who was addicted to now go into a place where that wasn't an option? Like what what come up for you and what did you have to work through? So this is the funny thing. I worked offshore and you can't drink offshore. But I wouldn't be able to make it past, for the Perthites listening to this, main liquor when I got back home because for some reason I stopped drinking on a plane. I don't know why I did it. I think it might have been there was a few incidents and I was in the leadership group. It might have been a dude sitting half naked in front of a plane in X-Mouth. Wow. <laughs> Too pissed. At the plane and just, yeah, you know, recruit me, recruit me. Right, I don't, that's being monitored, so I didn't do that. So when I got institutionalised, and you're right, oh, I can't drink. I was scared. But for some reason, I thought 
this is really going to help me and I need to engage my ratio, which I talked to you about, of two ears and one mouth. Mm -hmm. And I'll listen. And it began to unpack the tools that I needed. And in there, I would know that if I stopped drinking for good, my life would become infinitely better. So just my fitness and like the body wants to repair itself, yeah, and quickly. So I went in there and I would try to go for a run on my first day and I couldn't. Two weeks, the place is in West Perth. I'd run to Kings Park, down the Kokoda track, along the front, and then to two laps of Jacob's Ladder and then run back home. That was two weeks, and before that, I could not run. So that shows you how much the body wanted to repair, but also I was repairing mentally as well. I was given a lot of tools. What were you unpacking? What what were you using um, your addiction to alcohol to avoid? Anger, frustration. With what? Rage. A lot of stuff that had happened in the past, you know, like I'd been dealt a few bad hands um, and I was in victim mode mm-hmm. and that made me really, really angry and I realised that playing the victim, oh, work, it's happened. What are you going to do about it? Nothing. You know, the old move on. But look, how do you move on? How do you build the bridge and get over it? How do you do that? I didn't know. No one had ever shown me. Until now... I'm in a mental health hospital right at the bottom of my life and people go, oh, okay, cool. You're shit and you're really, really in some crisis. Now we'll give you the tools. But I've been in the mental health system for 20 years as well. How so? I suffer from chronic anxiety and depression. But because there's not enough practitioners or there's not enough sort of help as I was going through and I started getting on medication when they were like really bad, mate. Like you take your medication, you just sweat and like you're off your head on disco drugs and you just go, this isn't working. So you sort of lose that faith in it. Yeah. But then it's also... I wasn't in the mindset of what you have to manage your recovery and you have to manage your own medication and stuff. So now I'm here in this institution, I was actually like, this is serious and this is what I need to do. And I actually got my medication on track, which worked for me. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of all spoon fed to me, which I think a lot of people need you know they need to be you know we talk in this space about being you know green amber and red mm-hmm. obviously I was in the red but I've never been taught to be in the green I never knew these things and it's actually not that hard so that's where that sort of all packed unpacked my ability to recognize an emotion deal with that emotion and basically like he brainwash myself out of it. When you say deal with that emotion, what do you mean? Realise that that's an emotion and that's okay to feel like that. And let it in. Be angry. 
punch the pillow, scream in the pillow, do whatever you have to do, but realise it's normal. But just say, yeah, that's cool. Realise it's there, but um, it's no good for you. Okay. So what's every that, time what's you, that process look like for you? I look at it as a, a pendulum, though. So you've got like your, your clipping out here. And you start, that emotion starts swinging, you know. You go from extreme highs to extreme lows. And every time you kind of deal with that, yep. the pendulum slip swings less violently until you sort of found this sort of equilibrium in the middle. You're like, yeah, you're going to get pissed off and you're going to get angry and frustrated, and, but it's not going to go bing like that. And it only takes two minutes to do. No, I'm joking. Takes a lot of work, and this is probably the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. That's huge. What um, what have you had to process from your your past to shift shift that anger or shift that that emotion from the past so that anger doesn't become something that's triggered because of what has happened. See. I've talked about this before, and I reckon it's really, really cool in life because you get to choose. You get to choose what you have for breakfast. You get to choose what you're going to wear on the day. And you actually get to choose how you're going to act and ultimately how you're going to feel. So I chose poorly back then. I chose poorly for my actions. I chose poorly for my responses, and that created my reality, I guess. So I had to come to terms with that I chose poorly. Yep. But now I know that I chose poorly and I get to choose a better solution. And I need to realise that I can't turn back those decisions that I made which shaped my life and shaped the bad hands that I've been dealt with because... I chose to react badly, which made me feel angry, frustrated. Based off of what? Just what was happening externally. Like, this last downturn in the oil and gas industry, someone said something that's going to resonate with me for the rest of my life. It said, you cannot do anything for the outcome. If you're going to get a tap on the shoulder, it's not you a lot of the time, it's because your position and all those other positions like yours globally have been made redundant. It's just unfortunately sucked in. You did that job. The only thing you can do is choose how you react to that. You can be bitter, you can beat up the industry, you can go, righto, it's what's happened. I choose to either retrain myself or find another job and get on with it. And that's what's really resonated with me. Awesome. Um, so with being institutionalised, how, how did you then approach um, alcoholism or addiction to alcohol and then eventually get to the point where you're now sober? <laughs> so I got picked up. From the institution, like, right, we're not drinking. La 
lasted about 35 minutes when we had to lunch. I ordered my first Peroni Ligara. It was a light beer, though. So, look, I'm not, I wasn't getting into the chooks straight away. And it was then a process that I knew that I had to do this. And I started journaling, okay, because they said that in there, a really, really good thing is to journal, get your feelings down on paper so you can actually go through and see how you felt, see how you... And it's like almost a, a little playbook, I guess. But my journaling started to look like a book. So I started writing A Year Without Beer in real time. So with the journaling, with the... You know, there's, there's a lot of affirmations that you get taught. There's a lot of creative visualisation that you get taught to do as well. And then there's a lot of, you know, recognising and regulating your emotions. So my drinking slowly got lower and lower until I eventually reached the point where I could step into sobriety wholeheartedly. It took 562 days from my start date. It well, didn't happen overnight. And it's no, you know, news to anyone that I got over the line via clinical hypnosis. But with working with clinical hypnotherapists and they've all said the same thing, because you wanted it so bad and you failed and failed and failed and failed and failed, but you're still noticing that you're reducing your intake and you got to the point where it was manageable, but you couldn't actually get over the line, that's where the hypnotherapy will more than likely work like that. And that was my story. So basically is Denzel Washington did a great speech called Fall Forward. Yep. And that's what I did. Oh, I've drunk too much. Oh, I've had a bender. Righto, that is all part of the process. I know I've reacted. I feel like I'm actually acknowledging what the booze is doing. Not saying poor me, not getting angry, sticking your hand up, getting on with it and trying a little bit better next time. So with that mentality, where does that come from? Because that takes a, a deal of ownership and a level of being able to take responsibility for your actions without shaming yourself. Like how, how did you build that into your... I think it was with a lot of the tools, a lot of the things that I was, you know, so once, I guess, once I had this realisation that I needed to give up drinking yeah, and I got out of the institution, I was armed with all this mindfulness crap and blah, 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 and all this new stuff that I thought was like new to me and everything, but no, it's been out for like thousands of years. I started going, wow, okay, I'm going to research this and, oh, there's a documentary and, oh, there's some, oh, there's an app, and oh, there's a book. So I started reading a lot. And in a lot of that text then, you know, also seeing a therapist as well, who was great. She goes, you are not meant to spend your whole life in therapy. We need to make sure you can regulate your own stuff. So that was how I went back to emotional kindergarten in my 40s. Sheesh, bro. That belly is that going belly nuts. belly is rumbled. Get this man a banana. <laughs> <laughs> I should have picked my non-fasting day to come and talk to you, bro. 
hope the mic's picking it up. I'm, I'm sure it would be, That's man. so funny. <laughs> so before, what was the belief before hypnosis and what was the belief after? It was miles apart. It was... So the reason I got hypnotised, I pretty much developed gout <laughs> in my knee. All right, I'm in my physio. I thought Kiwis were the only ones supposed to get that. I'm half Kiwi, mate. Really? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> my mum's an Auckland girl. Oh, wow. There you go. Nice. <laughs> so, yeah, man. <laughs> um, where were we? Got Kiwi gout <laughs> in my <laughs> knee, though. Um, went to the physio and... It was, wasn't my regular dude, so I had a fresh pair of eyes. And this chick goes, she knew about I was writing this book, and she goes, it's not about your book, it's about you. Go and get hypnotised. Two days later, we got hypnotised, and then it was just this, wow, I'm actually doing this, and I know that it's stuck, and my life has totally changed. And it was really, really good because it was just this big, like, I got given a new start. So I guess that's how it was. Okay. So with um, being someone in oil and gas and then going from being institutionalized, having all these tools, researching them, being hypnotized, how, how has it been for you integrating all of that stuff into being someone who is within oil and gas which is like historically or generally an industry that doesn't lean into like the woo-woo, woo-woo stuff that mindfulness would be considered. Didn't talk about it. It was my stuff. But, see, at this stage, I had my feet under the desk and I was working on a project with Woodside. And I guess it was a, a case of, if you want something done, give it to the busy person. And now because I didn't, didn't drink and I wasn't hungover and I wasn't shot, like hiding a hangover in morning meetings or whatever, my productivity just went through the roof. So I turned a nine-month contract into almost three and a half years because I didn't drink. I'd go out and pee for going, you're not drinking? No, you're at the pub. Yep. Why? Then I tell my story of, you know, I got hypnotized and blah, blah, blah. And you end up with like five or 10 people around. You just go, this guy's a freak. How can he be at the pub and not want to drink and not even care about it? And he's offering us all. And then one person would come up and go, hey, yeah, you got that number for that hypnotherapist, mate, because I'm, in, I'm drinking way too much and I can't stop. <laughs> The industry has a major problem with it, but you can't stick your hand up. Well, and the thing is, is like, do I say that sundowners and company sundowners are bad? No, they're amazing. It's a great social activity, and I think they need to be absolutely going forward. But it is the mindfulness stuff and everything. It's not... As a, as a whole industry, it's not ready for it yet. It will be ready for it in a decade. But the time is now to start introducing it. Mm. Um, 
And I mean, I'm, we're going through this process because we set up uh, the Association for Mental Health and Mining. Mm-hmm. We've been thinking about the sundowners and it's like, do we have alcohol available and does that tarnish the fact that we're going to be talking about mental health? And I guess what the decision we've come to is we've got to meet people where they are. We can't try and cut out what helps them socialise we just have to have like this level of trust and expectation that people coming to our events won't overdrink, won't compensate, and you know treat people like adults and trust Whoa, them enough to imagine that. <laughs> trust them enough Ima- to do the right thing, you know. And this and this is the thing: is a lot of like industry will just go, "Oh, that's happened," and knee jerk reaction, and just right. Oh, everyone needs to wear zips on their boots because of blood. Oh no, well, we can't wear zips on our boots, so we'll spend millions of dollars instead of training the man. You just mechanically remove, and it doesn't work. Yeah, people need to be adults. People need to make choices. And as I said before, I used to choose poorly, but now with all these tools and I'm now sober, there's a bit of clarity, and I think I make better decisions. Fuck! Imagine that. Imagine how many people are listening to this go, yeah, I probably, yeah, didn't do that well when I made that choice and it was because I was hungover or just been on on a weekend bender and, yeah, a lot of people and clients that I do work with, it's the same story. But we got, like, industry now has got massive problems with poor choices. I'm, I'm in oil and gas, but I'm reading in the press around stuff in mining camps and everything and just the, I guess the whole culture is a big heavy, you know, wet mess culture and I think yeah. you've spoken about this before and it's not like, yeah, you have your few but on, you know, when you when you finish your shift and you're going to fly out the next day, <laughs> you just get buckled. But then again, so do we because we come off the rig and usually go into some poor town <laughs> or like broom or something. <laughs> or like broom or something which has got like 30 guys that are just chopping off who are going absolutely hard. And then they go to their families and like, I just, yeah, uh, look, it, it, it's fun, but yeah, no, no when to switch it off. So what what were the decisions before? What are the decisions now? What are the, what are the tools that have helped you most go from those decisions that don't serve you to ones that do? Um, so... Decisions coming out of frustration, anger, rage. Having the story in your head that you want to say to a colleague to tell him how shit he is, but you're never going to say it anyway to him, but you want to. And you're thinking, hold on, that's just me being a dick. Stop. So you try and stop, then the story comes back. Try and stop, story comes back. But the more you practice the mindfulness, the leaves on the stream technique, you dive into your, you know, your toolbox full of shit. The conversation will start and within minutes it's stopped. And you go about thinking about good stuff instead of being negative. That's helped me massively, mate. I was just this full negative sarcastic 
I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I was, um, look, it was funny, but it was still negative. Yeah. You know? And it wouldn't happen in public. Happens when you're doing like this in driving to work and then you've got to put on this act and be happy but you've still got that bubble around the back of your head and pretty much the smoke's just coming out of your ears all day and you're not actually on task because you're thinking about other stuff then you're going to go home and it's just this how's your day? shit go in the fridge because you've been negative all day and that was me but until you can catch yourself that's when it's oh cool Go keep the footy boy. I'm going this or I'm doing that. Yep. So you want to, I get the well, Do you punish yourself? Like when you had a shit day, like going to the fridge or whatever, because you kind of know it's going to hurt the next day. It's like a short term, you know, solution. Yep. Hmm. Well, Let's let's go through what you've now created as a byproduct of going through that, and now and you said two years sober. Yep, beautiful. June June seventh. Woo! Oof. <laughs> Congrats, man. Thank you, man. Um, so you, what you've created is you've written a book. Yep, and you put together a course to help both men and women. Um, so it was both men and women. Yep. Now it's just men. Cool. Because I've joined forces with another sobriety coach. Wow. And she's got no interest in uh, dealing with men because it's, and I'm kind of the same. So, yeah, we just swap out. All right. Um, I've developed a course which is based on my journey into sobriety. And it comes in eight easy weeks and it's based on my book. And so what, what is the, the process or what does that look like for someone who, who is like you, who is using alcohol as a form of avoiding anger, sadness, whatever emotion that they don't want to touch or be in, using alcohol to do that, what sort of process are you looking to help someone or walk someone through so that they go from where you were making bad decisions to a place where they're making better decisions and hopefully pulling themselves off the beer. So I guess the process is identification mm -hmm. and, you know, we spend a lot of money on stuff that we don't need. Yeah. So why not invest in yourself a little bit? You know, um, the person might be chronically overweight. That might be a depressing thing that may maybe want them to get drinking, they might be in pain, that's annoying, I can attest to that, at least the fridge. So the process of eliminating stuff, of usually the process of making better choices mentally, but also better choices physically. Because you don't see, you know, a footy team or a rugby team about to go into the game on Saturday, the coach goes, right, oh, boys, make sure you go and drink a carton tonight because uh, we got, you know, a pretty hard side we're up against on the weekend. Coach doesn't say that, do they? <laughs> so if you look at it from that peak performance thing, 
it's no good for you. So it's maybe backing off and giving you the choice. But I'm not going to dilute or tell everyone what the course is. But look, at the end of the day, mate, the course is worth two Ubers for the A-Week. It's nothing. Well. So if you think you are drinking too much, two Ubers, couple of pints, dip your toe in the water and have a look at it. It can't hurt. Um, and it's setting your mind up through also a meditation process, which is woo-woo. But if you do it, um, one of our good friends and colleagues has actually done the meditation. It sounds amazing, actually. <laughs> better than his one that he had going for another <laughs> program that he ran. Um, you know, you go into sleep hygiene, you go into all these things that will just give you the tools to make better decisions and will actually show you the far out. It's physically possible to drink less and there's some little challenges in there yep. that are going really, I wouldn't say that these are major challenges. But yeah, it's okay to fail. That's the main thing that you know it, it comes. But it shows that you are able to get on this process and you'll notice that a fog will lift. Awesome, my man. Um, so for someone jumping in who's maybe a little anxious who doesn't know whether they want to commit to it or not who doesn't know if, or doesn't believe that they can get off the beers what would you say to them get on the call um so cool. at, so that's an option absolutely mate my um my details are all on the page instagram and facebook get underscore off it <laughs> folks um i'll put the links in the bio yeah, as well perfect yeah so get on a call i've, I've had a couple of these calls um, it's been a, a few like pretty full-on calls as well and people have definitely started to think, yeah, okay, this is probably something for me. The initial call is like, yes, if I could, if, mate, if I can do this, I, I, I was an absolute piss wreck. If I can do it, I think anyone on this planet can have a good hard crack. You just got to want to do it. Yeah, and it helps to have someone like you who's been through the process play a supporting role. Absolutely, mate. You want to thought, right, if he can do it, he's saying this, and wow, look at him. Like, my life now looks nothing like it did 24 months ago. Like, it's totally changed. My relationships with my kids, my relationship with my wife, um... I'm not in pain anymore. It's just, yeah. But I'm not telling people to quit alcohol. It's not a, a thing to get. It's an alcohol management program. I love that. If you are drinking too much and your alcohol is unmanageable, mm -hmm. well, let's bring it back into a manageable state. Beautiful. For your lifestyle. I love that. How do you knowing everything that you've been through, knowing that you, you're now playing a supporting role, you've got a book, you've got a course, you're helping men manage their alcohol so that they're not dependent, so that they're not 
constantly showing up and making poor decisions because of it. How do you feel about yourself now? Busy. <laughs> um, I haven't, lucky. I actually haven't really had time to really think about that. I know I'm, I'm doing good and everyone's like patting me on the back and everything and I have probably just said about this month, right, stop! I need to take this all in. I need to take a step back. It's been very, very busy getting and developing all this stuff. But look, I feel almost obligated because I can talk to people, I can coach, and I have done this, and I feel like it's almost, you know, my mission is to help people who want a bit of a no-bullshit I'm not going to be, you know, oh, so yeah. No, you need to do this. You fall behind, you know, let's get back on track. I'm going to be compassionate, but I'm also going to be real. So, yeah. Mm. And if that's the kind of... Firm but fair, some would say. Yeah, I've heard that before as well. <laughs> I just made that up. Yeah. So, yeah, a definitely firm but fair approach. Um, look, there are... Look, I'm not the only one on the planet doing this. I'm one of a few people that's got an online course here in Australia doing it. So there's different flavours. And look, at the end of the day, we're all competitive. You've got to choose the right flavour for yourself and who you're going to resonate with. Are you proud of yourself? Yeah, mate, I actually am. I'm... And it comes down to surfing again. As the weight came off and as I came motivated... People actually said, would say to me in the car park, have you just surfed or are you going out? And I'd say, oh, I'm about to go out. And they'd just laugh and go, I'm not going out with you because you get all the good ones. Yes. <laughs> and comments like, oh, yeah, I've got a couple and he caught 44 waves. Yes. <laughs> Paddling around like a 12-year-old boy, mate, in my mid-40s, just feels so good to just catch more waves to something that I was struggling with and surfing now is fun again. And that's the actual mechanical thing that you notice and then obviously your relationships. Love that. I still get frustrated because I've got kids but I don't blow up. What are you most grateful for right now? Um, I guess having my eyes opened and realising that there's a whole different world out there of, and that it is possible to heal yourself and being firm and fair on myself, as some would say, it's not easy. You've got to want to do it. But I think that's what I'm really, really grateful for is how far I've come and being able to do this for myself and realising that I've done this for myself because no one else is going to do it. You, you can People can show you all the stuff, but unless you actually have the discipline to do it, it's not going to happen for you. Love that. Last question, my man. If you had the chance to put a message on a billboard somewhere, you know thousands of people would see it every day, what would that message be? Drinking shit. No. <laughs> With emojis. <laughs> With emojis, yeah. Um, 
you get to choose. Maybe with, you know, that <laughs> man doing that, you know, the Captain America dude or something like that in a in a cartoon for you get to choose. And that is the most important thing in life is you're going to choose badly, you're going to choose well, but you get to choose. It's not anyone else, it's you. Mm, I love that ownership. Um, Absolutely, mate. It's to, wrap, to wrap this up, bro, I want to say thank you. Thanks for having me. For making time, but also for the transition that you've been through and your constant... The way that you've committed to yourself and seeing you, I guess, knowing you over the last, I think, like nine months to a year, just seeing this constant... I know, right? (laughs) Seeing this constant evolution, man, makes me really proud of you to see you put out the book and to put out a course and to now be in this place of supporting other people, you know, being someone, somewhat of a top dog in oil and gas and subsea and then coming to this place where you're putting your magic out there, you're presenting, you're using your gift, which is obviously storytelling. <laughs> Who would have thought? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of you. <laughs> Cheers, I'm really man. proud, man. Cheers. Thanks for having me. You. You. Thanks, guys. <laughs>